irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Why is Dumbo, Dumbo the Clown praising China and Prince Philip? Boy, did I chop all over that one. Why is Dumbo the Clown? No, not even. I'm sorry. Why is Dumbo the Elephant praising China and Prince William? What does Garfield the cat have in common with the CIA? What does Charlotte the spider have in common with NASA? She's not finished with those Amish. These are just a few of the topics we will be covering today. Hello, I'm William Mayock. And I am Nancy DeFabio. Welcome to Animal News Magazine. This is a live radio show about animals, including mammals, birds, fish, reptiles, amphibians, and insects, otherwise known as anthropods. The topics range from animals in science, to animals in entertainment, to animals in religion, to animals in agriculture, and so on and so on. And if you stop and think about it, animals play an important role in our daily lives as individuals and as a society. Although I have already formed my own opinion, and I think William has formed his uh, on many of the topics, And we will share those opinions with you. The show is about increasing our knowledge and understanding of the animal world. And from that information, you can draw your own conclusions. And let us know about your own conclusions. Uh, You can call us at 323-203-0815. You can email me at nancy at animallawlawyer.com. And you can um, also... uh, write us here. I think there's a way for you to uh, connect with us here at LA Talk Radio. So before we start, one day a duck walks into a store and asks the manager if uh, if he sells peanuts. And the manager says, no, we don't sell peanuts. The duck goes home, comes back the next day and asks the same question. Hey, do you sell peanuts? The manager says the same thing again. No, we do not sell peanuts. The dog goes The duck goes home again, comes back the next day, and asks the manager again if he sells peanuts. This time, the manager got upset and said, no, we don't sell peanuts. If you ask me one more time, I will nail your beak to the floor, and I mean it. The duck goes home, comes back the next day, and calmly asks the manager if he has any nails. The manager says, no, I don't have any nails. The duck says, okay, do you sell peanuts? <laughs> Very good. That's a good one, man. Smart duck. <laughs> Very smart duck. Smart duck. So I want to talk a little bit about this uh, article that I found in sciencemag.org. It's about um, the status of elephant tusks. Uh, the good news is that the number of elephants killed illegally in Africa has dropped from 10% to less than 4%, and that's really a dramatic drop. And China... That's great news. Absolutely. China has been one of the major drivers of elephant poaching uh, in many decades. It is the largest market for legal and illegal ivory in the world, with as much as an estimated 70% of the planet's ivory actually ending up in that country. Uh, The reduction in elephant poaching has been the result of a ban on ivory trade in China. Uh, In 2017, it actually became illegal in China to trade in ivory. This ban on all exports and imports uh, has the potential to save tens of thousands of elephants from poachers every year, and that's a really big number. What took hold of these Chinese? How did they grow a conscience? Well, the word is that they got pressure from the U.S., but I think it was more... Well, actually, it was pressure? pressure from the international community, but there was a really... A big public campaign. The public, uh, there's a public campaign that took place. I think it started in 2012, and it kind of shifted the public opinion in China. It um, it, it dramatically changed in the past decade. In 2012, um, less than half of the population thought it posed a problem, and today more than 71 percent of the people in China oppose the trade. 
So there was... There's hope for everyone. Yeah, absolutely. It's great um, development, Nancy. It's and we wonderful. really have to thank WildAid. Um, it's a... It's a nonprofit organization. Had a, had it's had campaigns dating back all the way to 2012, and the campaign was against ivory shark fin and rhino horns. Um, so what what they did is um, they started this campaign, and it really ramped up um, uh, and you know caused more public opinion to uh, kind of shift against the trade of. Um, Elephant tusks, among other things, and in 2018, a long list of celebrities they ju- they joined the the uh, the conservation organization's drive to change attitudes towards the selling of endangered animal parts. And I was really impressed by the long list of people who really participated in this campaign. Um, some people I don't know, uh, like former so- like Chinese concert pianist Lang Lang. Um, there were actresses Maggie Q, Lee Bing Bing, Angela Baby, Lupita Nyong's, a singer Jay Chu, but there are also people from um, uh, like Britain's Prince William. Uh, he got involved. Martial arts star, you like him, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan, heard of Jackie. Richard Branson. Who doesn't know Richard Branson? He's got uh, that mission to Mars there. Right. Selling tickets to Mars. And- Former, yeah. Virgin, Virgin America. That's right. Very, he's a billionaire. And then there's also former soccer player David Beckham. So they all got together. Um, and the campaign was called Partnership for the Wild. It was launched on March 14, 2018. Um, now, this campaign was after the ban became legal. But um, they continued to, um, to raise awareness and to uh, cut consumer demand for illicit products, such as, again, elephant ivory, rhino horns, and shark fin soup, actually. So they had more than 600 billboards featuring this basketball great, Yao Ming, uh, was displayed in Beijing Airport, That's numerous so high-visibility cities and major cities. So I never thought I'd be sitting here praising China. I'm That's telling you. That, I'm very uh, happy to hear this. It started even prior, but they kept it up in 2018, so it's really going well. I heard also on the news to fill the void for some people who like keychains. They have this synthetic elephant tusk. Absolutely. Which is imperceptible the difference to the average person who gets off on having keychains or whatever they want oh, yeah. out of touch. They have a synthetic uh, go-to, so uh, that, that'll that help. Yeah, and now they have to enforce the law because right. there will be illegal, illicit uh, trading. Uh, you know, the, the, the demand is limited. Okay, China has banned the trade of ivory. But so the getting your hands on the tusks will be more difficult and more expensive, but it's not impossible. There are many wealthy families in China. They'll find it a challenge. So it's up to the Chinese government to really crack down on those people. Um, so well, we're seeing some positive results. That's very encouraging. Yeah. We're not talking to the wall. There's an effort here. Celebrities are behind this. It, it, Absolutely. We're getting hope. up in the morning. I like yeah, that. Yeah, no, if only that they'd, uh, they'd get started on the animal testing issues. Um, Getting better in that department, then we'll uh, it'll spread. It'll spread it'll absolutely. Be contagious. I'll be good. Yeah, I'll be good. Well, I would have shifted our focus over to animal spies and uh, trainers who know the history of animal training. Agree that by far the best trainers who ever lived were Marion and Keller Breland. Animal spies. Your code name is Yana. You will travel to Dan Dong, China, where you will rendezvous with the raven. Code name Him Chan. Him Chan will provide you with the explosives necessary for destroying North Korea's plutonium based nuclear reactors located. Where are they located? About 90 miles north of Pyongyang. After the explosives have been planted, your extraction will be provided by a team of wild boars waiting for you at Kim Tu-Sung Stadium. Ask for their leader named Golda. You can, you can, can you may continue now. Okay. <laughs> I All just right. had to do that. Back to the animal <laughs> spice. That, that's really cool stuff. The Braylands met while working with famous behavioral psychologist B.F. Skinner. During World War II, Skinner received defense funding to research a pigeon-based homing device for missiles. The project was called Project Pigeon. The Braylands worked with Skinner on his project, teaching pigeons to guide bombs dropped from planes. 
Pigeon espionage became very popular during World War II. Bird keepers across Britain and the United States donated their birds for use by Allied troops. The birds relayed messages across enemy lines. Many pigeons were dropped by air crews to deliver messages to troops on the ground. They were occasionally strapped into mini parachutes to ensure a safe landing. Often coded intelligence messages were strapped to the birds' bodies. The pigeon carriers contained corkscrew fans, which unwound in the air to release the pigeons. Every aircraft carried at least one pigeon for flight. The Brelands left Skinner's lab in 1947 and started a business in Minnesota called Animal Behavior Enterprises, or ABE. ABE was a commercial venture based on the conditioning of animal behavior through positive reinforcement. The Braylands used a method called operant conditioning to train common animals to do extraordinary things. They learned this method from Skinner. Operant conditioning is basically positive and negative reinforcement. Let me tell you a little bit about that. Um, so, and I'm, I'm surprised that circus trainers haven't picked up on this. It's very, very easy, very simple. What Skinner did is he put a rat in a cage, and there was a lever. Whenever the rat would accidentally hit the lever, food would come out, and the rat would eat and enjoy the food. You're after, rewarded. Ap- after several accidental lever experiences, hit. Hit. the rat figured out, hey, every time I pull the lever, I get some food. And that was positive reinforcement. They did the same thing for negative reinforcement. They put I the rat the in the cage. <laughs> they put I the rat the in the cage. When I that lever. And when the and the the lever would emit uh, uh, an uncomfortable but mild um, electric current, a charge. So the rat, or I think I don't know if it was a rat or a mouse, would hit accidentally hit the lever, get a, an uncomfortable current. After a few accidental experiences, I realized I'm going to stay away from this lever because there's a negative charge that I don't like. And that's how they taught these animals to do all kinds of amazing things. Amazing. It's a very humane way to do things, of course. Yeah, so go ahead. Positive and negative re- uh, conditioning. Well, in, 19, uh, in 1955, they opened the IQ Zoo in Hot Springs, Arkansas. They applied operant condition to train chickens to play baseball, macaws to ride bicycles, and pigs to tap on pianos, among many other is this for real? Yes. Now, this is not even, I mean, I'm not, I'm not even, you know, taking a position on whether you should train these animals or not. But the thing is, if you're going to want to train an animal, if you're in favor of training an animal, this is the most humane way to do it. And they and they did it that way, and they had a lot of success. So, yeah, I mean, if you're, I don't know if I'm a fan of, you know, having pigs dance on pianos, but if you're into that, that's, you know. It's just not a, a cruel way to do it. Nancy, just exactly how do chickens, uh, where do they hold the baseball back there when they're being trained to be baseball players? <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get back to you on well, you that. You have to do some secondary research <laughs> here, okay? Well, anyway, the Braylands, spelled B as in boy, R-E-L-A-N-D-S, the Braylands became America's preeminent commercial animal trainers. What the public did not know is that they were in, also involved in training animals for defense and intelligence work. They trained ravens to deposit and retrieve objects, pigeons to warn of enemy ambushes, and cats to eavesdrop on human conversations. Much of the success of ABE's military training was due to the work of Bob Bailey. In 1965, he agreed to join ABE. Not long after, Bailey joined the company at the height of the Cold War. The CIA and other war-related government agencies contacted ABE about the possibility of training animal spies. In the 1960s, the United States military began training dolphins as undersea agents, using them to seek out mines and covert swimmers. Those dolphins, they're really talented. Yes. Bob Bailey became the first director of training for the Navy's pioneering dolphin program. Information on AB's work with the military is still classified. But we do know that dolphins were trained to perform a number of tasks, including rescuing lost sailors. Isn't that amazing? That's beautiful. While the dolphins were uh, trained by the Navy, the CIA trained animals to be covert Cold War spies. All sorts of animals, from ravens to house cats, 
were specially trained as spies during the Cold War. During uh, this era, the agency began teaching ravens <coughs> excuse me, and crows the art of espionage. CIA-trained ravens and crows were taught to deposit items in particular places. For example, the birds learned to put recording devices on the window ledges of houses that contained suspected communists. Maybe you thought those ravens all around were just useless creatures, right? These big black crow-like birds. Well, ravens were even taught to snap photographs through the glass using cameras carried in their beaks. Go figure. It's amazing. As recently as 2010, a researcher at the University of Washington began teaching crows to identify individual faces. And the U.S. military stepped in to investigate whether the birds could learn to recognize Osama bin Laden's. That's amazing. Uh, that mission ultimately fell to a group of seals, not birds. That's fine. That's good. If there's one thing we know about cats, is that they do whatever they want, whatever they want. Yes. Uh, well, in the 60s, it's estimated that $14 million was spent on a project to fit listening devices inside cats. It was called Operation Acoustic Kitty. The idea was for them to prowl around, picking up vital intelligence. The cats would be surgically modified so that they could pass along audio recordings of what went on in Soviet embassies. Are you sure we could talk about this, Ed, without revealing any state secrets here? Well, I think Soviets know this by now, so no cats allowed. All right, all right. All right. <laughs> I want to make that kind of news here and violate uh, some secret uh, classified information there. And, it was uh, all destroyed. Okay. Uh, anyway, they would unassumingly walk around in top-secret meetings, these cats, and collect vital information. No one would pay attention to the cat's comings and goings. The plan was for Bailey and his team of medical doctors and inventors to turn a cat into a transmitter with a wire running from the cat's inner ear to a battery instrument cluster implanted in its rib cage. I hope they didn't hurt these fuzzy cats. The cat's movements could be directed left, right, straight ahead with ultrasonic sound. They this became is, robots. It's amazing. It's spy stuff. It's great. The CIA it was hard at work on turning house cats into listening devices. As a veterinarian would sedate a small feline, cut them open, and insert a microphone into their ear, a radio transmitter into the base of the head, and run a thin wire along the cat's coat all the way into its tail, uh, which became an antenna. These cats would eventually be deployed to the Kremlin and discreetly pick up Soviet intelligence. Rumor has it that the project ended in failure on one on day one when the acoustic cat was run over by a car outside the Soviet embassy in Washington. Others have said the program didn't work because the cats would often wander off on their own. Operation Acoustic Kitty was canceled in 19... 67. At least that's what they tell us. But you know, you know, cats are generally crime fighters too because, you know, you heard of Jay Leno's Cop and Kitty. Yeah, so, so Cop and Kitty, man, this is the greatest. And we'll probably maybe one day have uh, Jay Leno on here. Talk about his kitty? His love for his kitty and, yeah. and, and, uh, and his love for animals. Well, let's see what we can do. All right. We'll, we'll see what we can do. Uh, anyway, when the, uh, the Senate Select Committee to Study Government Operations with respect to intelligence activities also known as the Church Committee, was formed in 1975 to investigate abuses of power at several U.S. intelligence agencies, including the CIA, ABE, decided to end its intelligence work. So according to Bailey, as I was saying before, ABE's records were destroyed in uh, a 1989 fire, and the CIA declined any request under the Freedom of Information Act um, for documents relating to animal and training, intelligence activities, and all the stuff that William has been talking about. Um, they're quoted saying that um, the fact of the existence or non-existence of requested records is currently improperly classified. So I'm certain that they're still training uh, cats and birds. Cats are hard to train, though. I don't know. So there's top-secret stuff, and this stuff is, is real as the day yeah. is long. And, the, and the wow. zoo, the amazing zoo, closed in 1990. The IQ Zoo in Arkansas, 
they had their operations in the background of training all these CIA animals, all these military animals, while people were looking at, you know, all kinds of animals doing funny tricks in the back. Uh, they were doing more serious work. But a lot of these uh, an animals, including the cats, they've since retired from uh, service with the CIA. Is that correct? Well, that one cat is either dead or somewhere in Washington. <laughs> well, I mean, that was a long time ago. They're dead. Uh, yeah, dead. But wh where do other CIA operatives, animals, cats, dolphins, do they have like a retirement home for these guys? Where do Actually, they go? Where do they know, go? Because up a, a you know, if we have time, we have an ex Amish minister coming on the show at two thirty. He's going to okay. talk about Amish life and all that. But actually, do we have to, if we have time at the end of the show, I want to talk about Cherami. This is a bird, a pigeon that um, that my son mentioned to me. Brought he came home one day and he was looking at pigeons, which is strange. But anyway, and he said, "Oh, Mama, Mama, Cherami, you have to, you know, you, you have to." Look, you know, you have to read up on this guy. And he told me the story about Cherami. Can you tell the Cherami. folks out there, since you're pronouncing it so well, what Cherami means, please? Dear friend. Thank means you. dear friend. So Thank anyway, uh, if we have time after the interview to talk about it, I'd like to tell the story of Cherami. Uh, but let's talk now about spiders. Spider, spider silk. Well, you know, the spider silk has unusual and amazing qualities. It is very malleable, tough, and lightweight, making it an extremely versatile material. It is probably the most elastic and toughest natural material. Here are some of the amazing things researchers are using spider silk for. <clears throat> Excuse me. Delivering life-saving drugs. In one recent Swiss-German project, researchers have developed microcapsules made of balled-up artificial spider silk. These microcapsules could be used to deliver vaccines directly to patients, immune cells to fight cancerous tumors. The microparticles can withstand high temperatures of more than 100 degrees Celsius, 202 degrees Fahrenheit, for several hours. This suggests that they may safeguard vaccines in developing countries where refrigeration is frequently a problem for conventional vaccines. That's amazing. Also, spider silk, it creates better hearing aids. Hearing aids, yeah. Research from New York's Birmingham University are using spider silk to improve the quality of hearing aid microphones. The idea is that due to extreme thinness, ultra-sensitive spider silk can pick up the velocity of air instead of just its pressure. By coating the spider silk with gold and placing it in a magnetic field to obtain an electronic signal, the researchers were able to create a microphone able to operate at impressive ranges of frequencies. Spider silk also helps repair damaged nerves. In Austria, researchers are investigating the use of ultra-strong spider silk of the golden orb weaver spider from Tanzania to help heal severe nerve injuries. It's amazing the byproducts of spiders that we, 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 we dislike and we spooked out by, we hate them. Yeah, wow, the, the microsurgical technique involves filling veins with spider silk to help guide nerves as they repair. According to Christy Radke, a professor of plastic and reconstructive surgery at Austria's MedUni Vienna General Hospital, she says, unfortunately, most materials have the effect of inhibiting, that's inhibiting <laughs> growth, <laughs> nerve growth. But spider silk, on the other hand, is a material that nerves love. They will attach to it and then follow the fibers directly. It's like a rose trellis. Nature amazing. is amazing. Nature is amazing. It is. You know, we thought just spider spider man. Now we've created a whole universe of medicinal right. helping people. Uh, you know, properties here. Spider silk and making impact absorbing body armor. Researchers from the UK's University of Cambridge have designed artificial spider silk which could be used for creating ultra-lightweight but incredibly strong shields. In tests, their material has been shown capable of driving away almost 70% of the energy at impact. This is a, a property real spiders need to have in their silk to absorb the impact of insects hitting their webs. So does that mean that, you know, bullets and knives and all that? Uh, you know, like armor, well, it that depends kind of armor? How, how fast you're... Yeah, we're creating armor, more like helmets. I mean, the, the armor is, uh, as well, far as human con uh, human use is concerned. Let's, 
Well, it says potential applications for this technology include everything from impact-absorbing helmets right. for cyclists, football right, players, right, right. like you're saying, Nancy, and skateboarders to potential armored vests for use by police right. or soldiers. Right, That's right. what excites yeah. me. Police I mean, if you soldiers. ever if you ever come in contact with a spider web, they're very very tough and very very strong. So it's that kind of netting they'll make, you know, armors for soldiers, police, right. law enforcement, and uh, you're having spiders that protect us here, not just the Spider-Man movies. Correct. They should tap into those themes in the movies. You know that in the Spider-Man movies. Okay, creating fake skin—that's another use of spider silk. Okay, this this is you know, this is a pioneering. Uh, you know, unearthing this dance Nancy show here is just unearthing all kinds of fascinating uh, ways that animals help us in our day-to-day living and making life better for all of us. Yeah, I am just a fascinating person. Yes, a trendsetter, <laughs> innovator. Just bringing all this to light. We would never know this. This is mundane right. existence we all have. Here's, a, here, here's another use of spider silk. Go figure, man. So, you know, watch it when you see the spiders next time. Exactly. Don't squish them. Get them outside. Respect the spider. Respect the spiders, man. Creating fake skin. Just when you thought that was all you'd find out about this silk, spider silk stuff. You know, just when you thought that was everything in the universe. Nancy finds more stuff here. Creating fake skin. In the comics, Spider-Man has occasionally dealt with broken or injured arms by creating a sling for himself out of spider web. Well, researchers from Sweden and India recently took this idea one step further by using spider silk to develop wound dressings and even artificial skin to help heal wounds. The dressings could be used to treat chronic wounds, while the artificial skin could be used for skin grafts in the case of critical third-degree burns. That is so cool. It could be also employed as a skin substitute in the cosmetic industry. Absolutely. And that's not it, Nancy. There's more. Oh, really? There's more to this spider silk. uh, uh, Now, this is all artificial spider silk. You're not actually using real spider silk. There's a reason for that. I'm not sure what it is, but it's artificial spider silk. But it's all inspired by it's inspired inspired by the spider and the spider silk and the webs and everything we know about that science. So, just when you thought it was over, it's not over. Nancy does exhaustive research here, okay, in her show here, and we are cutting to the chase to enrich our listening public here, okay? Oh, and yeah. those of you want to call and are just busting to share, you can reach us at 323-203-0815. That's 323-203-0815. Well, you better call now because we have uh, Sam Girard uh calling in three minutes well let's finish up here with this spider silk stuff here okay yeah we got producing even stronger spider silk while spider silk is impressively strong graphene is the strongest material known to ever exist it's 200 times the strength of steel in their efforts to make new supercharged version of regular spider silk researchers at the university of trent italy fed spiders a diet partially comprised of graphene the nanomaterial laced silk wound up being three times the strength and ten times the, 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 the toughness of silk spiders, uh, silk spiders produced in the wild. No applications have yet been demonstrated. I'm sure they'll find something to do with it. Yes, and lastly, helping astronauts move in microgravity. This one doesn't include real spider silk, but rather is inspired by uh, uh, you know, the way the spiders spin silk to move around created by researchers from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, the so-called Orbit Weaver device is a Spider-Man-style web shooter. It mimics the way spiders make their webs and is designed to let astronauts more easily pull themselves from location to location in zero or microgravity conditions. So these astronauts are doing Spider-Man invitations. Yeah, exactly. Nancy, you're amazing. Yeah, I am. Again, I'm amazing. And you want to know something even more amazing? Adidas actually has a shoe that's made of uh, synthetic spider silk. It's a really big shoe. The they say that well, the shoes are. I guess the shoes are strong and they're also eco-friendly. So uh, I know it's out there. Adidas does have a. It's a fully biodegradable shoe. It really is. 
and um, also there was a, a North Star, North Face. Actually, they were working on some. Uh, I think they called it the Moon Parka jacket that was made out of synthetic spider silk. I don't know if it's on the market, but actually, um, it's called a Moon Parka jacket by North Face. And if any of you uh, know if it's actually on sale in the stores, please let us know so we can pass on that information. Pretty amazing, it, it, huh? Yes, yes. What is that jacket? What's special about that? That you got the spider. It's silk? made of uh, synthetic spider silk. It's, and does uh, it repel certain things, uh, like hail? Well, it's probably it's a very strong jacket. It's environmentally friendly. Is it waterproof? Is uh, it is it inflammable? Is it flammable? I don't. Do you know those it's things? probably. I don't know if it's. That's a good question. Is it flam? I don't. It's probably flammable. I mean. Why would maybe, uh, why, why would it not be flammable? I don't know. We'd have to get some calls to let us. know. I mean, you'd have to know. I, I don't. I don't. I, mean, I don't know what the components of synthetic spider silk is. What do they do? What do they use? What chemicals? What what agents know. do they use to to put it together to make it uh, similar to the to spider, actually spider silk? So Sam Gerald should be calling in any minute now. He's uh, an ex Amish. He's now a minister. Uh, from Indiana, and I, uh, I thought I'd be fair and um, get somebody who's actually in the trenches to, uh, to let us know his uh, impartial and neutral um, view on on uh, on Amish life and how they relate to animals. So while we're waiting for him to call in, I guess this is uh, I can take a minute to talk a little bit about Cherami, right dear ahead. friend. So Cherami. Uh, this was a pigeon during World One One. I actually he's calling. Okay. We'll we'll hold on for Jeremy shortly. But do we have the? Uh... Hello, this is Nancy. Is this Sam? Nancy, this is Samuel Gerard. How you doing? Hello, welcome to Animal News Magazine. You're on Ellie Talk Radio. Thanks for calling in. Thanks for being prompt. Um, well, welcome, William Mayoff here too with Nancy's uh, show's co-host. Pleased to speak to you. Uh, so, Sam, uh, can you just uh, just introduce yourself and uh, tell me, you know, what your organization is about, who you are? Well, my name is Samuel Gerard. Um, I was raised Amish for thirty years. I left the Amish in two thousand and twelve, uh, September of two thousand twelve, and we are part of a ministry called Missions to Amish People, and so what we do, we go and speak in churches throughout the country, sharing the beliefs and the culture and the lifestyle of the Amish and what their religion is all about, so that more people can reach out to them for the plan of salvation and uh, teach them the truth of the Word of God and to know what, what they really are about, because the Amish are good people. They uh, they They work hard, and they have uh, good work ethics, and they just—they're just great people. But they don't know the truth in as far as when it comes to the true plan of salvation. So, part of our organization, what we do, and that is go in churches and speak. My wife and I, and we travel around, and so we're representatives of missions to Amish people, which is MAP Ministries. So, um, what is it that they're missing? What's the difference between their faith and your faith? What what's what is it that they're missing that you're trying to? make them understand what uh i want them to know is that how they can have the true salvation knowing that they can be saved and uh, have eternal life after death as far as knowing that you can go to heaven they don't know that you can know that you can go to heaven according to the word of god and that's what i learned after i left is that god reached down uh spiritually and saved my soul and now i have a life eternal that I can have life in heaven when I die, and they don't believe that. They believe that being the best that you can ever be, knowing that the best that you can ever do, they believe that God will accept them as for who they are doing that. And that's not, according to the scriptures, that's not what it takes. It just simply takes believing on the word of God and what Christ did for us. Okay, so it's uh, so it's more like a born-again Christian thing. It's like Christianity, is that what you're... That's, that's, that's what that it is correct. Okay, got it. So... And I, and I get so when you lived on, uh, I guess you lived on an Amish farm. Is that where you lived? That is correct. Now on this Amish farm, uh, how did uh, the Amish uh, make money? How did they 
support themselves. Now, you have to understand a little bit of history about the Amish. There's, uh, according to the University of Pennsylvania, there's 308,000 Amish in America, Canada, and parts of South America. And it doubles every 20 years, the population does, by birth, not by conversion. And so it grows and grows. And so you got to understand there's 40 plus different sects of Amish. And so each Amish community has totally different sets of rules and regulations. Okay. For example, there's a, a more conservative group of Amish in the, in, the, in the United States. There's several different settlements that are do the same thing. They totally depend on farming as far as when it comes to produce, when it comes to uh, corn and wheat and hay and things that they can raise to be able to sell. Now, where I come from, we only raise crops in order to feed our animals, our livestock. That's what we did. We only raised crops for that and some produce on the side for an extra income. But other than that, I was raised building houses, barns, decks, anything out there in construction, in the wood construction field. That's what we made our living off of from where I was raised at. Now, there's many different settlements in the United States, and each settlement has their own rules and regulations of what they can do and what they can do to make an income. And a lot of them make their income by farming, but it's getting fizzled out more and more as a small farmer cannot make it out there, and the Amish are suffering from that aspect as well. Right, the farming. Yeah, that's another issue altogether. So when you were... uh when you were raising, I mean, you you were doing construction work, but where you lived, you were still raising crops, right? Did you? I mean, correct. Were, did animals play a role in Amish life, like cows and horses? Yes, yes. yes. We milked our own cow. Uh, we sometimes milked goats. Um, we had horses. We had cattle. We had uh, pigs. We had chickens. We always had chickens. Uh, a lot of them had sheep and goats, and some of them made their livings off of uh, cattle, for example. We would buy calves and raise them up to uh, the weight of butcher, the slaughter size, and then we'd take them and sell them, and that would be a lot of our income as well. And then we would raise hogs. Uh, we used to have a 400 hog operation where me and my brother would go in, and we would, uh, we were like uh, eight, nine, ten years old. We would go out and clean the pens out, and then dad would go to work, do construction, and He'd come home in the evening and feed them, then we would raise them for two months or however long that the contract was that we were supposed to keep them to get them up a certain weight, then we would ship them out, and then that's how we would make some of our income at one point in my life. Well, it seems to me the way you're talking, I mean, you would clean out the pen and you would feed them. You, you, it appears to me that you kind of you took care of these animals. Um, that, is, that is correct. Did, did, are there different Amish beliefs? I mean, how do, the, what are, how do the Amish relate to animals? I mean, are you... How did they fit in um, their life? Are they re- maybe respected is too strong a word, but do they do the Amish think that it, you should treat an animal properly, take care of it, feed it, give it shelter, shelter from the storm, uh, medical care? Yes. My 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 dad had a heart for animals. He taught me to take care of the animals when when they were out in the storm. They he would make sure that we had a proper place for them to put them in in a barn. Um, a lot of folks didn't. A lot of Amish didn't. Um, there's so many. There's just like out in our society today. There's people that abuse the animals, and you see that. I'm sure you're an animal advocate of some sort, the way I understand your uh, profile. And so I I know that there's a lot of animals out here. A lot of people out here in this society and the non-Amish society that they misuse and neglect their animals, just like it is in the Amish society. Right. There's a lot of people like that as well. Right. But my concern is that, um, you know, in the Amish community, I mean, okay, my question is how, because there are some Amish who are very abusive. I mean, I'm spending a few weeks on uh, puppy mills in Pennsylvania and uh, yes. Iowa. And there, there's, yes. a, there's a large Amish community that breeds dogs for a living. Now, if that's what you want to do, that's okay. But there have been a lot of violations and there's a lot of testimony pointing to the really serious, egregious abuse of these dogs. So Yes, I believe that. Now, so I'm thinking, is that what the Amish truly believe, or does it go from community to community? Because I'm talking to you, and, and as an ex, when you were Amish, you, there was no way you would have done 
what what is going on right now. So what's the now, there's, disconnect? There's, there's, there's lots of there's lots of Amish that that do that for a living. Um, they they raise dogs and they raise chickens and they raise different animals for a living. Um, my family, uh, my family personally, we didn't abuse them in that way. In other words, um, where we where we would just um, abuse them and stuff like that. Um, I had uncles that raised dogs. I'd never raised dogs for a living. I never did that, but I had uncles that did. And he took a hundred percent proper care of those dogs and treated them like his own dogs. And he, tra- he trained them well. And then he would sell them. Then he would sell them, you know, to people that would bond to him and so forth like right, that. Right. But there's Amish that I, there's Amish out there that I know personally right now, that their dog is just an animal to him. They don't care. All they're out there for is the money. That's but isn't that a for. sin in, in yeah. the Amish faith? Isn't that a sin? I mean, isn't there a proverb in the, I, I found a proverb in the Bible that says, I mean, you may know this being a minister, um, a righteous man regardeth the life of his beast. I mean, what does that mean? Exactly what it means. I mean, they, they regard as, yeah, it would be a sin. To me, it would be a sin, but sometimes they they live, I hate to say this, and I don't want to put them down in any way, but um, that's just the way it is of the world for the most part. A lot of people, they do that. They neglect the animals, and they just they, they're, they just want a dollar for it, and they just want the money for it, and they'll do whatever it takes to get that money. They don't care about the care of the animals, but that's in every society. That's not just in the Amish. Absolutely. Yes, it happens in the Amish society. But I'm just holding Absolutely. them to a higher standard only because, I mean, they're projecting themselves as a holy people, you know, respecting the exactly. word of God. Exactly. So I'm holding them just like I would be holding you to a higher standard because you're a minister and you, you, you minister yes. to people. So, totally you know, I'm totally a lawyer. Understand. I'm held to a higher standard because if I break the law, I'm going to get a worse sentence than just a regular guy from the street. So that's why I'm saying, exactly I mean, I could right. be a Catholic person. I really, I'm just, just you know, I happen to come across this Amish story, but it, it crosses all lines. It crosses all genders and races. Let, let me ask a question, if yeah. I may. How can we effectuate change here? Do they have small little churches that go Sundays to reach out to the community that if they're going to, I was thinking that part of the discussion, you were saying that their farms are, you know, uh, you know, g- declining economically, they have to resort to other measures, maybe to make a living. I don't know if you're going in that direction, but but what we we had another guest last week, and to hear how they they truck in from a lot of these Amish uh, Amish uh, cultivators, thirty hours on a truck, and the animals freeze or they're overheated if it's the summer, and they don't care. They're just commodities. I'm just wondering if we could retrain, and you're a minister. I appeal to their sense of religion, appeal to their sense of conscience, because uh, no matter what religion you are, we're not trying to single out necessarily a, a certain faith. There's a conscience, there's, there's humanity, there's compassion. And you can, you can make a buck, yeah. you can go ahead and do it humanely, but to do it as an abusive... You see what I'm saying? So that's why if we could start from like the little local church or whatever, but I mean, or someone like you, it's very refreshing to see that that's wrong. You said your father had a heart for animals. Why? Can, maybe you can help us and crusade and and get a balance here. You know, you get get a balance of, of being humane to these animals, and 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 uh, you know, because what is a way to stop it? Basically, yeah, do you how, have, how do you stop them from breeding animals in this manner? I mean, if you t- if you talk to, let's say, or not you personally, but if somebody went and talked to them, would they listen? If you yeah. ha- if you had a wand, a remedial way to do this, to, to assist us in your prescription, uh, uh, tell us, you know, give us some information as to how we can start healing this or correcting this. Well, that's a good, very good question, and thank you for asking that. Um, that's the, the that's a hard thing to kind of uh, figure out because number one. Um, and I don't mean this in any bad way at all, shape, or form. The mentality that these Amish have, the majority of the Amish, they don't say that, but this is the mentality that they have. They feel like they're above the law, and a lot of the law won't even touch them because they view them as a holy people. Hmm. And a lot of things happen behind closed doors. Okay. And so when somebody does try to approach them, they get very defensive. But, and but they get but, very defensive. Uh, yeah, ahead. I understand that. But the holy people, you know, it's like it's like, you know, there 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 are people like Anwar Sadat, the former president of Egypt, 
like a legitimate good Muslim and then or Islam, and then there's there, there there's the radical Islamists and all that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that these yeah. some of these Amish, you know, are just given a bad name to many. Many, you know, law-abiding, God-loving. Do you hear what I'm saying? And it's probably, I'm sure they're not I all do. puppy mills and not horrible people. Right. Yeah, we're not running here to try to knock them, knock them all off. But, but, but there's got to be a way. I understand their attitude. They think they're above the law. But also, it, they're a tourist attraction. Does that help a little bit? Does that help their cause a little bit? That they're a, a tourist attraction. People like to go and see the, you know, the buggies and the men with their hats. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I believe so. Yes. Um, now, um, I know uh, Nancy had said something in her email about puppy mills and all that stuff, but I was uh, I, I don't I don't know exactly how to answer your question to that a lot because we didn't have uh, that many puppy mills when I was growing up around this area where I was growing up at. But I understand they're up in Holmes County, Ohio, and they're up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. They're all up there. I don't know exactly how they operate all that stuff, but. And I don't know if they're if they're going behind closed doors and they're sneaking around. I don't know if they're not getting their permits. I I absolutely don't know nothing how those operations are run on a, a full basis. You know what I mean? So to to reach out to those people and all that stuff, you know, I would have to do a little bit more research. If they have tried to reach out to them, I don't know. I never read up on it much as far as that goes to reach out to them. I just know. From the aspect of a lot of Amish around here and other businesses that they had and stuff that were not quite with the ordinance of the county or the law or whatever, and they still got by with it just because they're Amish, you know, and the law let them go. They give them a pass. Huh? They give them a pass. But but are, are, do you yes. still have credibility? I understand 30 years uh, practicing Amish and set, you left them seven years ago. Are you ostracized or do you still have? A, a sympathetic, or will they listen to you and your ideas? Do they think you're a rebel because you yeah, have all Yeah, that's a good question. Once you're out, are you out permanently? Right, or are you ostracized? Or will they listen to your claim for humanity? Like, like, like that's not what a real Amish should be, to go ahead and torture animals or puppy mills and all that. Do, do you have, do you have for, credibility for, with them? For the most part, no. Okay, no, so I don't. I totally, I totally lost my credibility, totally lost uh, their respect. I totally lost everything that i've ever had built up with them period over the years um i have no uh, i have no uh social connection with them uh especially where i come from the community i'm from and a lot of other communities now like i said there's over 40 different sections of Amish. there is several different amish that i can go and i can have a good conversation with them but they still somewhat treat me out as an outcast, gotcha. but they'll still listen to me more than what gotcha. my family would or some other people that I know but, of. Quick question. Let me ask you this, though. But I, and I feel I empathize with you. I feel for you. But those that are still within the Amish church or whatever you want to call it, are there not numbers of people within the Amish community that realize that some of this practice or a lot of this practice is wrong? And those those are guys and oh, yeah. gals. still So... We have to make an appeal to those who are still wearing, you know, you know, their armor and all that, or or the memberships, if you will, and make an appeal to them and say, look, people from within, Amish within, Amish without, come on. So even the people from within, they gotta have a heart. They don't live on a total island. They still know what conscience is. Do you see what I'm saying? So those people that are yeah. from within, if we can get them more activist and still be Amish and show that it's not inconsistent, there's not a conflict. You can be Amish and still care for an animal and not just make a mill and have them inbred and, and subject to disease needlessly. Follow what I'm saying? It's not mutually exclusive yes, I do. to be an advocate and to be an Amish, right? Yes, yes, I agree. But when agree. people come to your ministry, they do have a change of heart, so, that's, so there's good yes. work right there, you know? Um, yes, yes, exactly. So, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, and... To reach out into them and stuff, and like I said, I don't know that much what goes on in the puppy mills and stuff like that. Right. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of illegal stuff that goes on. I know there's there is a lot of illegal stuff that goes on, and and immoral stuff, if you know what I mean. Right. Like you said, inbreeding and all that stuff. I I agree. I I know there's stuff that goes on, but I never really read up on it. Right. I never followed up on it or anything, so I would not know. But you sound like such a reasonable uh, minister. You really do. And whether they come to your church or not, you know, we're, we're all humans. We're, you know what I'm saying? I'm sure you wouldn't ostracize somebody, say, become part of my 
you know, you know, my movement or whatever, respectfully. You hear what I'm saying? You want to appeal to what's right. You want to appeal to what's right. We go to heaven that way. Yeah. So I, I, so where are you located? You're in Indiana, Sam? I am. I am. Yes. So where in Indiana? Southeast Indiana, all the way in the southeast corner. We are about 50 miles east and a little south of Cincinnati, Ohio. So MAP Ministry. Right? We want them back, Nancy. We want them so back. Are you a, so do you accept donations from the public? Are you a nonprofit? I guess you are, right? Absolutely. Okay, so, Absolutely. so um, if anybody Absolutely. wants to make a contribution to uh, to MAP Ministry. Give us a web page. Uh, do you have a web page or something she can announce, Nancy? Yes, Map, mapministry.org. 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 Go and uh, go look it up. It's a great ministry. Um, I love the way you uh, you responded to you know the whole concern about animals i really appreciate that i appreciate your good work i appreciate you coming to the show yeah i think it might be a good idea to have him back um so yeah maybe later on uh this year Uh, i really appreciate it sam thanks for coming on and you know whenever if i'm ever going to if i ever find myself in indiana i will definitely contact you okay thank you so much for your time god God bless you okay thank you sam thanks for coming on the show bye-bye uh-huh. All right, Nancy. So, Nancy, are we uh, wrapping We're, we up We have here? to wrap it up. We're running a We're little bit late. Up. So thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. Nancy at AnimalLawyer.com. Let me know what you like, what you don't like, any suggestions. If you actually want to come on the show in person or telephonically, by all means, let us know. Let us know what you want to talk about, and we'll see what we can do. And, and just as a parting thing, so if this, summer's here. So if you see those animals, those doggies in the cars, you know, report the owner. Make sure everyone can breathe. Or actually do what I do. Just break the window break. and worry about it later. Right. And get there that dog go. or animal out of and there. And put out some water for these doggies and all the little creatures that can't help themselves. Okay. Thank you so much, Thank you. everybody. Bye-bye. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio. Only on L.A. Talk Radio.